Is this your first time on the show? Yeah. No way. Yeah, my first time. I, I was interviewed at a summit once for like oh, two that's seconds. Right. Yeah, that's right. The live episodes, the the we don't do those anymore. Well, we do. I mean, everything is alive, I guess. But last year, was that the first year we didn't do a, a live recording at the summit? I think it was the second year we didn't. I think last year I we just, did. This year we did not. It's too hard to see people like and interact. Yeah. So Andrew and I would be like, all right, podcast is over. And the whole cocktail party is basically like done. And people are leaving. We're like, oh, no one invited us to dinner. That's <laughs> something we said. We're like, we need you to interact with the people. So let's not do a podcast. Which, which if you've they been to the summit. They kind of like you. Know, you. <laughs> well, if, if you've been to the summit too, like the Decovert team generally gives me a hard time because like I don't eat lunch and I uh, just, I'm constantly. And I went to an event in Miami last year didn't know a soul, right? It was a tech conference, investor VC thing, uh, just like personal interest of mine and didn't know anybody. I remember one of the four main people putting on the event, they just, it was the second day and it was, it had been a great conference, but he just stood out by the coffee line and was just talking to people. And I was like, that made the whole conference. Like mm -hmm. that, that's the interaction that you're like, you can listen to this podcast obviously and hear a lot of our thoughts, but conferences are different for a reason. Absolutely. All right. Let's get started. Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Welcome to episode 269. I'm Kevin Oakley and with me today are uh, two marketing coaches. That's, that is a plural statement. Jackie Lipinski and our newest team member, Beth Russell. Hey, Beth. Hello. Insert I'm here. party applause sound effects. Yeah. Republic. We could talk about you. I know. The I feel worst like I'm not kept secret anymore. ever, I think. <laughs> yeah. Mike and I were joking because you had put in your notice with your former employer um, right before the builder show, but it was still supposed to be secret. But then every time we'd see Beth, she'd be like, I told so-and-so. And we're like, oh, you told it like another one? Like, I thought this was a secret. She's like, I just hey, can't help it. I told everybody. You were guilty of doing the same, so you can't say anything. Only when you were around. And I That's know, true. And you, I didn't tell anybody that was surprised. Let me just say it that way. They all knew when I, time I said I, something. My favorite was a, a builder in a meeting was like, is it? is it Beth on your team? I was like, it is Beth. How did you know? And she's like, well, on a post, she had that unicorn mug that Kevin used to hand out. I felt like it was an Easter egg. And then Beth Russell was like, yep, it was an Easter egg. So, yeah. you know, you know. Yeah. That's funny. All right. We're back from some technical difficulties. Jackie should sound muy, Much muy bueno. Now I need to keep working on my Spanish. I know. All right. What, what were we talking about? Welcome, Beth. And oh, yeah, Beth. we're ready to go on story time. <laughs> the world's worst kept secret is what we were talking yes. about. Yeah. But people are still excited and we're excited. I know. I and love that. It makes me feel good. It's very humbling. I remember the moment I was at a summit and all of a sudden, Kevin, you're next to me and you're like, this person, you need to talk to this person, Jackie. I'm like, who, who is this person? And I see this tiny little Beth Russell pop up next to me and she's like, hello, Kevin told me to talk to you. And then we were basically inseparable. So this is, this is an absolute dream come true. So, and I think I messaged you after Kevin, I was like, how do you just know us so well? 
So instant. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm an introvert, so I don't, I'm, I love doing that. And then I'm like, see ya. Bye. Like you, you too. It works perfectly too. I mean, it was the start of our, of our lovely friendship. And I think that's what the, the magic of the summit is, right? Is you, you come away with little bundles of people and you're like, oh, they get me. Thank goodness. Oh, they're doing this. Oh, I'm like, I, I yeah, just, yeah. I just need someone to bounce ideas off of. Yeah. So. It's like career summer camp mm-hmm. with, yeah. with actual things that you can walk away and do and improve. All right. So we'll get back to the hot seat for Beth later in the podcasts. We didn't even put that in the show notes, so it'll be actually hot. She won't know what's coming, but uh, Beth, do you want to, I mean, I feel like you should, you should start us off with story time first. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, uh, well, it's, it's hard to think. I, Kevin asked me, there's like, so many things. I I'm, there's so many things happening in my life right now. Most people who know me already know that my husband's in the military. So we move a lot. So not only do I work in new home marketing, but I am a constant consumer. We're preparing to buy our third home in eight years. And this one we're actually building from scratch. It's a spec home from a builder, but we got in there super early and they're a custom home builder. So we get to like, I literally have to pick out everything. And I actually Which sounds fun until you have to do it. Oh my gosh. It is extremely overwhelming. I actually texted my realtor the other day and I was like, I just need to like take a minute off, which I I couldn't do because my mind is always running, but I was just so overwhelmed because you go, you start looking at one thing like light fixtures, which I have, I can choose light fixtures from anywhere. Um, And then you start thinking about how they have to match the, the toilet paper holders and they have to match the faucets and they have to match the handles. And it's just like, Holy moly. And you can't help the, the beauty of it is you can't help, but feel for all of our customers across the nation, because, you know, Kevin, you and I've had this conversation that it can be paralyzing to have so many things to choose from. And so the more yeah. clarity that we provide people, the more handholding, the more support, it only helps us as a business and helps our customers feel more secure in their decision. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I always liked at, at Heartland when we were a custom builder, People would always say, well, what is custom? We had to train salespeople. What does custom mean? Because it's just a generic term. And for some people, it means something very different. We'd say, well, if it's important to you, it's important to us. But also, like, if you don't care about the profile of your molding on around the carpet or the hardwood, like, you don't have to pick it. It's already great. Like, mm-hmm. we're, we're already above standard. But that's not every custom builder's approach. A lot of custom builders just say, we've got what do they call it? Allowances for everything. And you can just pick it all or, but if you don't pick anything, our allowance is, is kind of like for just the basic crap. Like sometimes it's really bad mm-hmm. if you don't. And so that always seemed to work well for us because people would just buy a house and add a foot onto the kitchen Island and change a chandelier and add some outlets. And they'd be like, I built a custom house and they paid a custom premium for it. So mm-hmm. I think the hardest thing I'm, you know, I've been in this industry for a long time, but the hardest thing I'm having to navigate in this particular instance is I am so used to the production side of things Mm -hmm. from selling and marketing and just being inside that customer's brain that it's really hard for me to be like, okay, this allowance, but like, I can't go over it. Like, can you tell me exactly what I can get? Because I need, I need a box. That that would mean that, that, that they made that calculation. They didn't. I mean, that's, I'm not saying your builder, but a lot of custom builders, they're just like, mm, 
$8,000 should be enough for that. And they just <laughs> make enough. I mean, it, it, and that, that's why a lot of people get so frustrated with the custom processes. They're like, well, I couldn't have even bought cabinets of any kind for that allowance. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's way easier to do bait and switch, which some smaller custom folks do. Once you're in the process, like you're kind of stuck in the process. There's Yeah. Big shout out to my builder though, because he is, he is so lovely and he's very patient with me. So I think at the, ultimately as like overwhelmed as I am in the process, their care for me and their patience during the process is what makes it all worth it. So like, again, going back to like taking care of your customers is so important. Do you feel like they're guiding you to make the best decisions or they, is it really up to you to, to tell them what you want or is the relationship pretty give and take? Yeah. It's a little bit of both, you know, they're, they're giving me some guidance. They do have a designer that I, that I can work with a little bit and she will help. I also have the luxury that they have a finished home literally right across the street from us that I'm pulling a ton of like uh, inspiration from. And they have a great catalog of content from their previously built homes that I can go back and reference and say, Hey, you know how you did this in this house? I love that. I want to replicate that. Is a catalog available to you only because you're past a step or is it available to be viewed everywhere on their website or something like that? There's certain homes on their website, but there are also, they have a lady that runs their social media locally who posts a ton of fic- pictures of homes. And so I just full on stop their social, their social media. Catalog kind of, yeah. yeah. That's like your, yeah. your door story, Kevin, where it was like, what's the color of this? Just someone find out for me. But it's nice when mm-hmm. they do label it. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's great because people loved when Becca was building a house and I was building a house and Andrew was building a house. So, you know, we were negotiating back and forth and I was like, I don't know. And Beth is like, I'll build a house for the podcast. And I said, all right. <laughs> yeah. I'm in. literally sharing the whole process on social media <laughs> because I want people, all of like, all of you people understand wow. and like, you guys love this stuff. Yeah. And I so- don't, I don't like the accountability that you're trying to put on me though, Beth. Like she loves, <laughs> Beth does a lot of polls. And so that's great. But I'm like, I know this is your house and it doesn't matter what I think. So I don't ever vote on your polls. It's nothing personal. I just don't want to push you in a direction because, you know, we're all different people. I'm still going to do what I want to do. Let's be honest. But (laughs) it's fun to get people's opinions or to validate my craziness. Like when I want to buy pendants that are way out of my budget. Yeah. My friend, Joe Salisbury from DAI, they're the largest land developer in Utah, just reached back out to me today And I remember he used to be the president and I think CEO of Candlelight Homes, which grew to, I think, 800 homes a year before he sold it to Cal Atlantic or Lennar. Anyway, they would do a parade home. Mm -hmm. And this was back in 2000, Mm -hmm. 2015, 2016. And he's like, yeah, I do. We crowdsource everything. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, we just put up like, here's three different cabinets. Everyone in Salt Lake City, you pick the cabinets for this parade house. And I was like, you put your fingers on the scale, don't you? He's like, oh yeah, we absolutely, we just pick what we want. But we let everyone get involved and they all feel like it's being built and they don't know how many votes each thing got. And it, mm-hmm. no, I, Joe, sorry if I, well, you're, he's not a builder anymore. He's just a developer. So I think that's know. the secret of marketing though. It's like you pretend like people had opinions and you're just like, yeah, we're still going to do this anyway, but thank you for contributing. Like here's your little- It's actually the secret to a lot, of, you're right. We haven't even gotten to either one of our story times yet, but I've done a lot of nonprofit work. And one of the things that nonprofits always struggle with is how do we let people get involved to the extent they want to be involved? So when I was in Pittsburgh, I was on the board of a 
uh, uh, we helped like 10,000 kids. We ran a couple different schools for mental health issues, um, foster adoption, all this stuff. And, and everyone loved what we were doing and wanted to be involved, but you'd get, you know, Sally is like, Hey, can I volunteer to spend two hours in the school helping out? Like there's like a mental hospital inside of this school. So that in case something happens, like we can't just let you waltz in, like you'd have to go through a lot of training. Anyway, that, that was always their problem was you got to find a way to help people feel involved and create a sense of community and, and connection or else no one wants to be involved at the financial level that a nonprofit needs. And so we'd always be like, Oh no, you don't have to spend five hours, you know, doing X, Y, and Z just write a check. And everyone's like, no, I don't want to write a check. I want to feel connected to this. So I, anyway, you can find to let people, you know. It's amazing how many people are messaging me saying they're like totally invested in this process, which I love. And that's why I keep sharing it all, but I'm going to be, as I always am real during it, because there's a chance we might not even be able to close on this home. So I might just be building this beautiful home for someone else to have in the future. So. Actually, tell them the most, ama- the most amazing thing to me is how fast this builder is saying they can build. Yeah. So he he's actually the developer as well of the community. And he only does about 10 homes a year. Our home from moving dirt to finish, he says he can do in six months. And it's a fully custom home. Like I went to the cabinet maker who has a workshop where all the men are in there creating the cabinets from hand. It was beautiful to see in person. and. We have a little extra grade work happening on our, because we have a funky lot. And from the time that he starts building the actual home, he says he can get it done in four months. Crazy. And he has before you said. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he started a home in September and it, the home that I'm referencing in terms of inspiration, it was complete by January. <laughs> Gotta love the South. I feel like that's just a, like, you can't do that in a lot of the country, but for some reason... Maybe there's no inspections there. I don't know, is it like in the middle of nowhere, kind of? It's sort of a little bit, their own little special market. Uh, no. I think it helps his connections as well. And then all of their vendors are hyper local. So that helps. It's awesome. Well. All right. Well, we can't wait to hear more. And if you want to follow along on the journey, go find Beth on the socials. Jackie, what do you got? I was just going to say, it's been fun having Beth, I want to say stock, that's the wrong word, be incorporated in a lot of meetings and just have, I always appreciate different people's insights for the same issue. And we had this builder that she was shadowing a meeting and the builder was talking about military buyers and just Beth, obviously having a lot of experience with military buyers, how they think, how the loan process works and being able to have those insights and just realizing, you know, at the end of the day, maybe it's even not that big of a deal because of who they thought their audience was maybe isn't actually who their audience is going to be. So that was just nice. I think take in terms of different people's expertise and same multiple people looking at the same problem and coming up with um, different solutions. So just excited to have you on the team, but I do have a real story. I am searching for a new car because my husband is, his is, um, let's just say questionable. It's, it's, I refuse to drive it. It's a Honda or no, I'm sorry. It's a Ford Focus. I don't know, like 20. It's not good. It scares me. I don't enjoy it. It shakes. There's things wrong with it. And so we're looking at a new Honda Passport, but we don't really have 
I would say urgency, which I see some builders having uh, things shaking on your car. I, I, I would recommend well, you do something. <laughs> we have my car I and we both. Okay. You home. got two cars. So that's yeah. what I was saying. We have, we have two cars. Yeah. Like we can be a one car household. If I understand really if it's just shaking. him that falls off the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Know, it's, it's, it's some, shock. It's some oh, shock. Yeah. The brakes work. Terrifying. Yeah. Um, he uses my car when he needs to, but we went to go look at a car and the guy wouldn't come down on price. There was a crack in the windshield. We're like, okay, well, you know, replace the windshield. He's like, no, no, no. We'll take a thousand dollars. Well, we can charge you a thousand dollars to fix the windshield. I'm like, what in the world? No. So we walked away and they had mentioned how this car has been sitting for months. So now they're texting us, trying to get us back in. And I can feel the desperation in their texts, which actually makes me, I feel we liked the car, but now I actually like the car less because that feeling of the salesperson needing me is uncomfortable. And now it makes me go, well, there is clearly something more wrong with the car if they're kind of this desperate and coming after me so aggressively. And I kind of thought that too, we're seeing a lot of home buyers who have the cash still and who are patient. It's frustrating because the feedback I keep hearing is there's just nothing that's getting them off the fence. They can, they just keep wanting to wait, keep wanting to wait. And so that kind of messaging and, and just working with your team, just making sure you're, you're giving good updates. You don't seem desperate. You're inviting them, but again, maybe with things that make sense to them, but it just feels weird. And I feel like the vibe of the market is still, I think last week it was like, you know, stay calm, but it's still like, stay calm, but also like make sure your teams aren't acting, going rogue and acting weird and seeming desperate in their, in their messaging, because it feels unique to this gentleman. And if he actually are like, he's turning us off of the car now. And we're like, we're, we're going to actually walk away now. Cause we're, it's, I don't know. It, it's like the sales agent is actually the person who is making us walk away in this situation. Yeah. And it's interesting how responsiveness doesn't have to equal desperation. I just want to, I don't, I want to yeah. kind of clarify that point because that's a lot of the initial feedback we got around the online sales position was like, are you kidding me? We're going to have someone who is all about fast responses or immediately answering the phone. Cause then customers are just going to expect that all the time or uh, is not going to seem desperate or that's going to seem like they've got nothing else to do. And we're just, you know, if we answer the phone and we don't let it ring and go to voicemail, then they must assume we don't have, no one wants a home from us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. It, so I think what's interesting about that is it's not the fact that they're, te- that the, that they're texting you or actually, sending you information. I would have appreciated updates faster and sooner. It took a full week. And then their first message is, oh, I think management's ready to fold on that car you're looking at. I'm like, oh, gosh. fold on that car. like. But you're, you're anyway. So yeah. And I, I, I would have appreciated more quicker response or like, Hey, I'm still looking into that. Like there were two little things replacing the windshield and dropping the price by X, like just acknowledge what we talked about. And I think I still would have been like, great, keep me in the loop. And I would have been extremely responsive, but just waiting an extreme amount of time with also desperation under vibes is a big factor. So, I mean, online sales teams are still doing think phenomenally with their speed and, and keeping people up to date. Now that the runway for becoming a potential lead is longer, you do need to come up with maybe extended follow-up processes that online sales teams aren't used to. So, and on-site teams maybe aren't used to. Yeah. And yep. a lot of times in order to avoid sounding desperate is to make sure you're personalizing it more. Don't just reach out. Like you said, provide hey, valuable information, but frame it. Yeah frame it in a way that's like, 
Hey, I was thinking about you and your kids. I know that they really wanted to go to this elementary school, like tie it to the conversation you had and make it personal. And then you seem less desperate and you seem Mm -hmm. more of like, I'm still here to support you. And this opportunity is still available for you. Yeah. Yeah. Part of my fun game shopping for cars is just once I decide they're off my list is seeing how long they keep trying to follow up. Hmm. Because it just tells you basically when does their system stop reminding you or when does their manager stop asking about what happened to that person? Mm-hmm. And it's generally been like one to two weeks tops. And then you never hear from them again. Like not even no emails, no attempts, right? When you and when you go do a test drive, you have to sign this form that gives them all of your information and they I mean they they know everything about you basically. Yeah. But they just gave up, you know. My first story time piece is that if you were at this year's summit, you know, one of the, on my keynote, I talked a lot about Mr. Beast. And uh, this is a gentleman who has sold millions of hamburgers, uh, first billionaire on YouTube. What else? He has uh, Feastables, which is his snack line uh, as well, which is in Walmart and all these places. So he's, he's using his awareness and influence to build these other businesses that are outperforming people who are actually professionals at those businesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and the thing we talked about was, you know, Studio McGee has a show on HGTV or Netflix. I think they're in target, you know, Shay is in fact, someone in our network is next door neighbors with her. She's like, yeah, it's really weird. Like I see her cut out in target and I'm like, that's my neighbor, (laughs) But, but she is building her first spec home. And it's a high-end house. At first, I, f- I forgot that her first name was Shay, and I thought Shay Holmes had partnered with her, and I was like, oh, somebody did it. But here's the thing. She talks about the fact that, and I'm guessing this is going to be like a uh, easily like one and a half to $3 million home by the by the look of the images. She talks about how the fact it's been taking forever to get her husband comfortable with the idea of building a spec home, and he jokes in the video like, yeah, because if the spec ends up not selling, like we just built ourselves a new home for us because we're going to have to move into here and sell our, our other house. But I have a feeling that this is going to go really, really well. And some builder needs to get on the horn and say, you don't just have to build one house. You can put your magic touch on whole communities or houses whatsoever because this company is, is a media company for, uh, you could say they're a design agency. They're not. They've got products in Target. They've got television shows, they have blogs, they have all the social media stuff. And so you're getting not just design influence, you're getting distribution of your message and content creation that no one else mm-hmm. is going to match. We'll put the link in the show notes to their blog post, but it's it's pretty cool. And I don't think she's going to have any hard time selling it because of just who she is and what her company represents. Yeah, we saw that happen in Waco with all of the Magnolia homes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did she actually make her own home building company? He, he had like a, it was like a flipper company, right? Like yeah. a. Yeah. So yeah. he's flipped several Magnolia houses. That's what they Magnolia brand them as. Magnolia Homes is Magnolia the. Magnolia is the, I, th- I think they, I, I remember reading something where they had to go back and get the Magnolia Home name. And there is a Magnolia Home company in Tennessee, I believe, mm-hmm. as well. So. Yeah, they had to fix the bakery name for sure. That switched immediately because of Magnolia Bakery. But they have they had several flips, but any home that was like featured on the TV show, um, a lot of people didn't stay in those homes or they just switched them into Airbnb. And if you saw them pop up in the market in Waco, the very first line would be featured 
on mm-hmm. Fixer Upper. Like this Magnolia home designed by Joanna Gaines. Like it yeah. was a huge thing and they would fly at premium price. And a lot of times they weren't in the nicest neighborhoods. They were a house that they took and that just needed severe love. Yeah. The other one, and I'm not going to use any names, but I, I we got we got an email. In fact, I'm just going to summarize the email. I, won't, I was going to read it word for word, but I'll just summarize it. Basically, um, this is a company that we don't actually do work for. This is just a pure consulting, coaching, uh, short-term, like six-month agreement to help the internal people learn how to do things better, tell them what to do, and then and and so this is someone who, you know, two, two three months in is saying, "Hey, our we have this other." A Bing account that we haven't even talked to you about yet, uh, folks at Do You Convert, and it seems to be performing better than the search setup on Google. And it's going to take a little bit of of a setup, but they're like, yeah, there's there's more conversions happening on Microsoft uh, Bing than on Google. The targeting's uh, set up differently. Bing is set up to do automatic targeting. We've got keywords over in Google, and it, it's what's fascinating to me about this is again really smart people. And this is going to tie into a, another article that I'm adding to the, to the show that I, I found from Rand Fishkin just a few minutes ago, Jackie, they're, they're seeing a, a screen that says conversions and just assuming that a bigger number is better. And, and that's not the case because we, we looked in and it's, it's not better. And most of those conversions are questionable whether they're even real people or not. But the other thing about this is, just kind of a, a miss on fully understanding what search is about to me. So we, we've, I feel like every three to six months, we have to kind of re talk about this quickly. And that is if I am a home builder that sells homes in Dublin, Ohio, and I run an ad for the search term, new homes, Dublin, Ohio. And the ad talks about the fact that my homes start from the five hundreds the square footage, bedroom, et cetera, like gives the basic information, including pricing. Someone clicks on that ad. I send them to my page about new homes in Dublin, Ohio, whether that's the community page, the map page, inventory home page, whatever it is, the ad did its job. <laughs> and so I think what's, what's funny to me about that is there's no one Bing's, right? Let's just go back to that. In comparison to Google, Bing has almost no search market. So that that's the first thing that's kind of funny. And then the second thing that's kind of funny is they actually have the same keywords set up. Now the who to target is automated currently in Bing before we teach them how to fix it. But the targeting is automated. The keywords are the same, which means that new homes, Dublin in this scenario is in both. There is no performance difference. Like, I don't know if, if I, <laughs> you tell me if I'm making sense, but like the job, the ad did its job in either case. New Homes Dublin, New Homes Dublin. Doesn't matter which platform. Someone types in those words, they see the ad, they click on it. And that, that again, is kind of a clue, actually, to the conversions are probably meaningless. I don't know. I feel like I need a, an illustration to more fully understand it, but does that make sense? No? I think I get what you're saying. I think you're missing a little step there in terms of what's also be counted as a conversion. And that's the thing I see people, too, where we had this little um, blip in a website and it was like, and the conversions weren't showing up. But all of a sudden, the conversions were still showing up. It's like, well, you know, this is still being counted as a conversion through this portal. And it's like, no, 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 that's 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 not a, that's not a conversion. Like, 
Yeah, pay, page views aren't conversions, right? Page views aren't conversions. And so um, I see this yeah. all the time. I think when people get really obsessed with like the bounce rate, it's like what counts is about, it's like, well, we're just tracking, we're in tracking inflated numbers. And it sounds like that's what they were doing in Bing and maybe not understanding the- Well, yeah, and I'm trying not to give too much away, but yeah. this person or company probably knows who I'm talking about at this point anyway. So the 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 really interesting thing is we had already undone the same problem with Google, when we took, when we helped them fix that is they were like, Hey, uh, like we tripled the results that they got from Google and their online sales team is complaining about spam and artificial leads and, yeah. and lack of responsiveness or quality. So we, we increased the amount of traffic they get by three times for the same amount of money. OSC says, Oh my gosh, these leads are real people. Now I love you. This is great. So we had to undo it in Google and then they're like, oh, yeah, let's go look at Bing. And, and so then they ask these questions about why is Bing performing better? Mm-hmm. And then the, the finale is they said, can we go turn back on those performance max campaigns in oh. Google that auto target like we had before? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, no. But here's the thing. And this is the other part of the story. This person who is emailing us is just the messenger. So she understands it, but she's having a hard time getting those above her to understand it. Yeah. And so she's kind of just more or less I, like she didn't put a winky face in there, but I'm kind of, I feel like she's just teeing it up for us. Like help it, help me out again here. Cause they're asking that same question and they're wondering why we don't just get more conversions like we do over on Bing. Yeah. So we, I mean, we'll help out, we'll help them out and we'll get it all fixed. But I just think it's interesting how it's so easy. Even without, so. let's say someone new comes into the, the role and now they're looking at the historical data and they're like, wow, we used to have three times as many leads like we need to cancel do you convert we need to go back to what we were doing but not realizing we were we're going for which that's never quality. ever happened no that's never way. happened yeah <laughs> usually <laughs> i clarity. usually i get a call like two weeks later and they're like uh thank you so much but like can we meet more going back though it's it's usually i think what's happening is you need more background information to understand the value of, of what you're taking and i will say kevin that that does seem like a very consistent thing marketers struggle with is like bigger message. I, I even had a call today where the marketer is like, Hey, I know we're doing everything we can in marketing world. I know we're collecting all the leads that we can, and we're going, we're, we're twice as where we need to be. But the problem is when it goes to the sales team, I don't know how to tell them. I was like, you tell them with the data. I was like, did you fill out the market proof algorithm? She's like, no. I was like, start with the market proof algorithm. I was like, we can go through it, but sometimes you just need that you need to prove your points with data as a marketer, and that is is extremely valuable. And so maybe that's what they were yeah. also missing with being. When you use that that data, you have to tell the story so that they can understand it. Because, like, you know, my in my experience, I worked very closely with the sales team, mm-hmm. and we benefited from that really close relationship. But there's, if I just gave them data and were like, "See, here are the numbers," it would just go over their head. But if it sat down and like constructed that story around it and then tied in what sales does and and their experience, that stuff that they understand, then it was like a light went off and it, all of a sudden everything sort of made sense. And the data wasn't just like a numbers on a page anymore. It was a story of this mm-hmm. customer and what they're going through and what their experience is like and why we don't need to do that random organic Facebook post that three people look at. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's just a reminder to make sure because the way that algorithms are involved in creating flywheels and who we target and how we target 
what you're accounting as conversions really does matter. And this is going to change a little bit as we get more into G, into GA4 and and beyond. But like I was on with a with a builder that we're going to be starting with in April, and every single one of the conversions in analytics was just people viewing a page with a call to action on it. There was no tracking of actual submissions. It was just, did they view a community page? Did they view a floor plan page? And I'm like, well, also if you have, and one of them was a promotion, like a a three month promotion that they've been running. But if you're running ads that take you straight to the promotion page, and then you count views of that promotion page as the conversion, Like even if the bounce, and that's that's no surprise, the bounce rate was uh, over 92%. Average time on the site was eight seconds, but it looked like an amazing amount of conversions were happening. So yeah. All right, let's, um, let's get to the real show, huh? Next up on the news, let's skip down to the Housing Wire article. With little competition, home builders are feeling better. Home builder sentiment rose two points in March, the six-month outlook fell slightly. And the, the key, I think, really is little competition. Yeah. There's just not, thank thank goodness. And I'll, mm-hmm. just for fun, just for funsies, we'll talk about the potential terrible things that could happen. But for right now, it's, it's, it's great. Um, there's not enough existing homes on the market. A, a large number of homes that are still coming to market that are used are selling in less than 48 hours. And so the only things that are left are overpriced. They're, they're like the Honda Passport in Jackie's story. They're a house with a cracked windshield and, the, yeah. and they're like, no, we're not fixing it. No, we're not reducing our price. Take it or leave it. And in some markets, mm-hmm. you know, it really is still a seller's market because there's just not enough inventory. But builders are taking advantage, adjusting prices, doing financing incentives to try to make it more affordable. And they're feeling pretty good overall. What's really interesting about this, and it, it, it's like, it gets me so excited is when you have a lower amount of pre-existing inventory on the market, you have a huge opportunity as a builder to get creative with your content. And, you know, being in the market right now, one of the things, the very first things I noticed where we're moving in Georgia, it is predominantly new construction and it's a bunch of small builders in that area. But when you go look at all the listings, the best content is with the pre-existing homes because the builders, I kid you not, one had a grocery store as their main photo. There was nothing Mm, on the house, nothing. There was a couple listings where there was actual, like the, the black and white Mm -hmm. exterior of the home from the blueprint with handwriting all over it and, and notes of what the material would be. And so it's like, when you have the monopoly in the market, when you are, when you are able to be the listing that's seen the most often, because there's not a lot of competition out there, take advantage of it. Make sure you have the pictures of the homes. Make mm-hmm. sure that you're putting the content out there that will make people reach out because I'm not calling about a grocery store. Yeah, people confuse that all the time. Even at community page levels, one of the things that kind of still drives me crazy is when people just put all the pictures of the model home on the community page. Like That's, not, that's, that's in your community, but that is not your community. Like if, if you have walking trails or... Entry monuments, or in that case, you know, maybe 18th in the gallery is the local grocery shopping center. But like model homes aren't those aren't community photos either. Uh, and in fact, still shockingly, if you're looking around, and I know no one is really in this position, but if you're wondering what should I do to my website, it still shocks me the number of people who do not have 
a dedicated page saying, here's where you can go to see our models. Because especially now, not every community has a model home. Mm-hmm. And it's extremely difficult for consumers to understand if they can go there or not, or if I want to see this floor plan, where can I go? I've, I've said this for, I don't know, five years now. Fisher Homes is one of the my favorites in that they they have a separate tab just for models. And that lets you know as a consumer, where can I go to see what? Like what's available yeah. without having to go through every community and be like, does it have a model or not? But builders feeling good. I mean, I, we got a call from a builder who like they, they just sold two months worth of sales in uh, a weekend. Another builder just had a pre-sale event, their first ever kind of uh, hybrid because we did it super accelerated and they sold, I, I think best notes were like 25 homes in the first week. So yeah, I mean, people, people are generally busy, mm-hmm. feeling good as the article says. All right, next up from Redfin, and there's some controversy around this one from Redfin.com. Nearly half of home sellers are making concessions to woo buyers. Sellers are offering to cover the cost of repairs, mortgage rate buy-downs, closing costs, pandemic boomtowns, and pricey coastal markets, including Phoenix Phoenix and Seattle, have seen the biggest increase in concessions. A record 13% of home sales include a price cut and final sale price below the list price in addition to a concession. When I say there's controversy, um, Redfin, as you know, is based in Seattle Mm -hmm. and heavily focused on a lot of the data that they do on the coasts uh, and larger markets. Because Mike Simonson, who we, uh, Altos Research, we had him on the podcast, he, he actually sold his company to Housing Wire. So their article relates that um, his latest data is showing that only 30% of homes have a concession right now. And that's kind of the market average. When things go over 30, it's kind of a sign that, that, that it's a buyer's market. Under 30, it's a seller's market. And he actually made a couple posts talking about kind of why their, why their stats might be different. But it's, it's also just interesting to think about what, which, which of those viewpoints is your consumer coming from would matter, right? Like if, if someone reads the Redfin article and says, oh my gosh, everything's being given away and they're, we can't sell houses. And then they walk into your model home or talk to your OSC, they have a different preconceived notion than if they were to somehow stumble on Altos Research's uh, chart that says that actually concessions are going away and you better move fast. So I think regardless of the data point itself, it's just, it's really important to understand where your consumers are coming from because you might have to reframe that real quick. Yeah. And I think it kind of goes along with us. And obviously, because I'm in the Seattle area talking about those houses that are still hot and selling fast in 48 hours. Obviously these are the homes that are 1300 square feet, no garage and half the roof is moss. So there's still, people are still feeling like maybe they're overpriced and obviously to, to secure that sale, they are offering certain things, but I, I always agree. I think with that, where, where are the sources coming from? Then how do you dive into that? But also each buyer is going to have their own perception. So just understanding not as a cheesy car salesman, but like, what's it going to take to get you into this house? But, but those conversations sans the cheesiness do need to be happening. If people are still influenced by what they're, what they're reading in the news. Yeah. And also a reminder again, that every market is now different because for two years, it was like a national story. And that, again, that's helpful to you. If you're an online salesperson, a marketer, a salesperson, a model home is you, you can very easily reframe that if you've got good local data. So don't just rely on, on national headlines and don't let your consumer say that must apply here. In fact, that's the other thing we keep reminding people is you got all this stuff, good stuff happening. You, you better do, you know, whether it's a real press release or not, you better you better let everyone know that you're bucking the national trend that that 
the story that they're reading is doesn't doesn't attribute to you and celebrate those successes because mm-hmm. that will stand out as well. Yeah. All right, heading into the AI segment of the program from Fast Company, Gmail will write your emails for you. Google announces generative AI tools across its workspace. Google announces broad generative AI features for its productivity suite just hours before the major announcement from rivals OpenAI and Microsoft. I thought this was hilarious too of um, just kind of like trying to steal each other's thunder. So OpenAI was the same day that they released ChatGPT4 as a big update, just hours before Google's like, ha ha, we just rolled it out. My favorite thing in the bottom of the email is, well, we've been doing this thing secretly for like years now where they're like, like, it's like a big sister being like, well, actually, like I've been like, I'm better at that because I'm older. So um, it is fun, but it kind of, and and let me know, have you guys seen Black Mirror in mm-hmm. Netflix? Mm-mm. You know that episode yeah. where the husband, spoiler alert, it's been out for years, deal with it. There's a husband who passes away and the wife gets so depressed, she pays for this program to basically scrub her husband's entire personality off of the internet and creates a version of him. And so, and I think you joked in one of the last podcasts, Kevin, we were like, I don't want anyone to scrub and create a digital version of me. But I do wonder if that's exactly like, one, if it saves time, but two, do you more emerge into that digital AI version of you? Or is that a good representation of you? But it still does seem like you need to to edit it. But I, I would hope that they'd pick up your your personality quirks if because I think everyone has unique personality traits, obviously that makes them them. But I think that's the the concern too. Or, or do we? Are we just are we just one machine like another machine? Right. That, that, that's the yeah. argument that's happening. It depends. And I think, I think it'll obviously standardize it's, some things. It's it's who you're responding to would would hopefully influence whether you know I use the AI to help out. Which again, like you said, Gmail has had that forever. Of yeah, that that works great. Like as an auto reply to, can you make the meeting at two? Right. Yeah. So it's it's been doing short versions of this for a long time. I do, and, and we talked before about how Google has come out to say, in terms of SEO, like we don't care how this content gets made as long as the consumer likes it. Just remember, there is a difference between SEO impact and human impact. And like it's kind of shocking to me, although maybe not, how fast my daughter's school has gotten into the everything gets checked for AI use mm. mode, like everything. Yep. And so, you know, j- just remember that as much as we've talked about, you know, use it, test it, play with it, incorporate where it makes sense. Also just know that if, if not, you know, tomorrow, very, very soon, everyone's going to have like their own cop that's, that's going to constantly be reminding us what percentage of what we're looking at might've been generated by AI and not, by a human. And that won't be perfect, mm-hmm. but it's just something to be aware of. You know, like I think we talked about before all the, all the guys using uh, chat GPT to write custom poems for their special someone on Valentine's day, right? Like it's cool. But then also when they find out that you just typed in four words in a box and got that out at some, at some point it might feel less cool. It's spicy, spicing up in terms of competition. Yeah, I think putting your tone of voice in there is still so incredibly important. I know that it adapts and it learns a little bit about you and your own own tone of voice and edits itself over time. But it just it's scary the thought of people losing who they are. You know, I think as I've like as a as writing as I've aged, you know, I used to be very 
clinical in my writing and obsessed with my grammar. And, you know, everything was based off of how I would write for my papers in college and things like that. And then as I got older, it, it has changed and my tone of voice has changed and it's more conversational. And I don't care as much about the grammar mistakes anymore because it sounds like me. And as people, you know, adapt and use these AI tools to write for them, as, lo- if, as long as they're going back and making sure it's still matching their tone of voice and they're not losing who they are in this computer, then it can remain successful. Sorry. The, the other thing is just a quick reminder that just because it's telling you uh, something like there's a bunch of um, people on Twitter who were trying to make the case that you should use ChatGPT to figure out like website activity levels around a keyword and whether it was possible to like competitive levelness for those keywords on that stuff. And then professional SEO people are like, hey, everyone, because people were just losing their minds like, oh my gosh, this is great. Now we now we can do this research and get the data because it would give you charts and graphs and tell you numbers of traffic. And then it's like, it doesn't know. <laughs> Like, and if it does, it's old and outdated. It's based upon whatever data set it was given before. And so you can't like, just don't do that. You're, you're kidding yourself. And the other one was someone proudly displaying that they had taken a picture of what was inside their fridge and then said, um, suggest food that I can make with it. And it was, everyone's losing. Oh my gosh, look at this. It's amazing. It can, and, and what it suggested looking at half the fridge was fruit and then some other things. And it suggested making a ham and cheese sandwich and fruit salad. And it's like, this is not, you know, again, that's why I think I keep going back to the calculator analogy is it is amazing that you can just push a bunch of numbers times and a bunch of other numbers and it spits it back out to you. That's still amazing. It's not like mind blowing. Like Mm -hmm. once you understand how math works, you're like, I'm glad I don't have to do that. That does make my life easier. Yes, you can give me prompts and inspiration, but I think it might be like chain block. Like every company was like, I'm going to put chain block on my company name. Blockchain. Blockchain. Sorry. Clearly I don't know. Um, (laughs) Or you're dyslexic. maybe. Oh yeah. Whatever. But then it's so like, I feel like everything is like GPT. We're just going to use these terms now for everything. And so I, I think with everything that gets released, like it'll have a hype, a good hype for six months and then people will get used to it. And then it'll just be a tool we we do use and feel more comfortable with. And I do kind of feel bad for the kids who can't take advantage of it because as, as professionals, it's like, well, whatever in the real world, I feel like you should be able to lean on tools. But at the same time, when you're a student, you need to build your foundation for what it looks like to be you and the thought process and how to get to those answers and how to ask AI those questions. So so you still can't st- skip that step. I think that's important. Yeah. But now, now these yeah. kids will be growing up with with AI, so it'll it'll be fun to see what that future looks like. Here's a, a tweet from the CEO of OpenAI when they released Chat GPT four, which I think is hilarious. Here's G- GPT four, our most capable and aligned model yet. Blah 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 blah. And then at the bottom he says it is still flawed, still limited, and this is my favorite part because I I completely agree. And it still seems more impressive on the first use than it does after you spend more time with it. <laughs> And that, that's the point. Like, I think that's almost a signal of you've, you've used it enough to not like use it now as you need to or want to, but you understand it. Like it, if you use these new things enough to kind of understand the mechanism behind even subconsciously, then it's like, okay, I can move on for a while until something else changes because it's not amazing anymore after you do it. The anyway, we're we're kind of circling back on the same concept, but yeah, I completely agree. Next up, speaking of controversy, CNBC.com, TikTok confirms 
that the U.S. has threatened an outright ban if Chinese parent company ByteDance doesn't sell its ownership in the company. Washington has asked TikTok Chinese parent company ByteDance to divest its stake in the short video app or face a possible ban in the U.S. Okay. (laughs) Well, I think what's interesting is, first, people keep saying it's not going to happen. But politically, like when both sides want to do something, it, it often does happen. And the second thing is people have kind of, remember there was this period of time where every article was about how TikTok is going to take over everything. Mm. Kind of Mm. gone away. Well, and I remember it was just a few weeks ago, we were talking about how like TikTok wants to do search marketing and and this and that. I I will say it is a good tool. It has gotten people addicted to it. So the people who are used to it or making money off of it, obviously they don't want it to go away. But I think the people who know the psychological effects and obviously the back end, since the military is what banning it in almost every place that they can off of military phones, like there, there are real risks to consider. And it's very real. I just feel like it's this like awkwardly, very obvious Trojan horse of a program where there are good marketing things out of it. And I think what it really did well was teach people how to create videos. If Andrew was on here, that's definitely would be saying is like, okay, well, this is your, your free window into hack into people's attention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah, I, I just think combined with other things that meta has done, it's good news for meta. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, but part of the reason let's let's talk about TikTok generally is that viewership has kind of peaked. Now it's still leading the pack, but it's kind of plateaued, and it's plateaued faster than Meta did because of of how fast it did grow. But that was kind of it was the new exciting thing because oh my gosh, it's like you can watch it in in slow slash fast motion kind of eat the world. But now it's there, and it's not getting any bigger because there's no more humans and no more time that they want to waste watching you know, ridiculous short form videos. And now short form videos at first, everyone was like, ha ha, look at Instagram. They're trying to do that with reels. Good luck or YouTube shorts, whatever. And now both those platforms mm-hmm. are continuing to, to do better and better and better. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's funny. I think it's retrained me a little because if I watch a video and someone takes too long to introduce themselves or get to the point, I'm like, get faster. Like, can I fast forward this human? I'm like, geez, this is a terrible thing that I'm kind of picking up where I just kind of expect that like answer in the video up front. And, and I'm sure that's how it's retraining people, but that's also understanding how it's retraining people, how we need to create content and, and don't do the surprise conclusion at the end, yeah. throw the conclusion in the front and then explain, explain it through the video. So. I am not a yogi or I don't even know what I'm saying. Right. I don't, I don't know, but the term mindfulness gets used a lot. And just the idea of being conscious of everything, every thought that is entering your mind, because most of your thoughts just show up out of who knows where you don't actually think them. Even if you think you do, they just show up and then you accept them and pretend like you thought them up. And the idea of mindfulness of, you know, grabbing each of those thoughts and determining uh, from kind of a third, third person perspective of how to handle that thought. That's like the only way to protect yourself from TikTok or, or anything like that. Like, or you could just say marketers gone rogue who don't care about m- morality or intention. It's just like, get the most attention or response possible. And most people don't have that. Like they just, they're not, most people in the world are not mindful. They're just stimulus and response, stimulus and response because they're so tired or so worn out or distracted or, you know, I mean, there, there's lots of reasons I'm not looking down on people in that, in that sense. It's just, it's really hard. And so, yeah, anyway. 
we'll see what happens with TikTok. I'm sure it'll seems to always trickle its way into the podcast every week. Yeah, and meanwhile, yeah. We, we we don't have an article about this, but but I mean, Meta also has been on the AI train for a long time, and they have more data and more currently made data to analyze than anyone else. And they continue to talk about we talked this is a news article I think last week that that their targeting is getting closer to being like it used to be before all the privacy stuff changed, thanks to AI doing its thing. And we're seeing that. I mean, costs for for paid social ads were creeping up, and now they're back down like 30-ish cents, 30, 40 cents kind of range for most builders. Now, obviously varies by area, but and and the it's also super surprising the number of times that we look in analytics and see that you know the the quality metrics combined of bounce rate, pages viewed, and time on site, where it's like freakishly close to organic traffic sometimes, too, in terms of behavior once they get there. All right, let's do the hot seat questions for Beth. Since I still can't believe this is your first time on the podcast, did you I like know, deny me five other times when I asked you, or what? What the heck happened? No. You just, I don't know what happened. You just forgot oh, we, about me. We had Kevin. her, we had Jesse on before too, though, her boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think I asked Beth and she's like, no, no, you should have Jesse on first or something. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pretend that's how it went down. Probably. But anyway. Yeah. So, we'll uh, you've been at, do you convert for almost three weeks now? Right. Is that right? It's like, it's like two and a half. Okay. Almost. So what's the. Talk, talk about you knew this was coming. I think what talk about something surprising or like on on this side of things mm-hmm. about how we do things or what we do with builders that kind of surprised you. In terms of what you do with builders, it surprised me. I don't. I don't think anything there really surprised me. I think my appreciation for do you convert has grown. Ironically enough, you would think that I would feel that more appreciation as a client, which we I did, stuff for of you. course. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I think now seeing the full picture and seeing all the people that you're helping and the different ways that you help people has made it grow even more, which I think is wonderful because I think if it hadn't, then I wouldn't be surprised, you know, that I wouldn't have something that was like, oh, I'm in the right place. And that's exactly how I feel. I'm seeing, I'm seeing the benefit. I'm seeing the support that you guys provide people and that sigh of relief and excitement that people get on a phone call with y'all and they feel heard, they feel seen, they feel understood, they feel supported, they feel guided. And it's remarkable. It's, it's really, it's really fun to watch. And I'm just super grateful to be a part of it. And, and, you know, being able, the opportunity to be able to do that for other people is really I love that you're saying all these nice things, but you know, that makes me uncomfortable. So instead, what's the strangest (laughs) thing you've heard me say or do on a call or funniest or whatever? Like, because now you've probably I don't know, 38 hours of Zoom time with Kevin. I'll never get over it. I'll never get over it. (laughs) Caffeinated Kevin is my favorite Kevin. I already told you this, but like you were dancing on a call one time because you were like so highly caffeinated and like so hype and ready to go. That is my favorite Kevin, hands down. You cursed once, which was... I asked permission first. I know. And it was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. (laughs) But yeah, no, I think those two stick out to me the most. I think seeing your personality come out at in different ways that I hadn't I hadn't maybe seen before has been really fun to observe. Who's your spirit animal home builder? Ooh, see if she gets in it because I think I know the answer to this. You could spend a day with any home builder or, or mm. owner of a home building company. Who would it be? 
Oh, so that's, that's a different story because my <laughs> answers will differ for each okay. of them. Well, like for marketer, both. marketer, I really enjoyed working with Sarah at Coventry because she's so curious and she's unafraid to be curious and she takes yeah. action quickly. And that really stood out to me just from like a pure marketing standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then in terms of like other builders, I see, I, I love spending time with the, the builders that have big visions and create these beautiful homes and they're not afraid to just, you know, kind of break the boundary a little bit design wise. So there's a, there's a lot. I couldn't narrow it down to one for that one. Not even someone building a house named after their blanket. Oh, well, see, I already, that relationship <laughs> is already there. <laughs> we talk on the daily. So that's so what we're talking about, <laughs> clear one in because they don't know. Yeah. Elena Money Garmin, if you're not following on Instagram, you need to be. She's amazing. She is building building Bodine and it is so fun to watch. And I tell her, I cannot wait to visit because, and I think you and her are going to have a, a battle for Berkeley's favorite home because she considered oh, no, your home a paradise. not close. She's got a Harry Potter magic hall or something. I know. It's amazing. I just have five bedrooms, but I don't have like Universal yeah. Studios level yeah. facilities. Here. You had a hidden door. That was enough. That was enough. Well, that's true. For well, that was your fault too. You, I, that was that was actually the reverse thing happening. If I put up, should I do a bookshelf or a or a what did I say? Or like a yeah, and you were like a hidden door. So that was your fault. Yeah, that's that sounds like something I would do. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to visit. Like I am counting down the days till I can Burke and I can go up there and visit because we'll be in Georgia hopefully by the time that she's done. Actually, maybe not. I think she's nearing down the last few weeks. So yeah, she only has a couple of weeks left. She's on the, on the final stretch. I'm so excited. That front door is enough for me. Thing that terrifies you the most, and then we're done about working here. I'm giving her easy ones. Jackie's looking at me like, "Did you just ask her that?" No, I'm. I'm like, I'm like, hmm. I wonder how she's going to answer this because I think something <laughs> different for her answers. So it's always it's always fun to see because you get in and you're just like, Ugh. like, what am I supposed to do? And then you shadow, but. I mean, we're, we're pretty kind to new people where we're like, we're not going to make you have a meeting the first month you're here. Like you, you get yeah. a shadow, but yeah. yeah. What is your answer, Beth? Well, I'm the first to admit that I have a lot to learn because even though I have all these years in the industry, you know, and I've this experience in sales and marketing and I, some of it is unique. Yeah. But I only know what I know and I only know what I've been exposed to. So I'm really just excited to learn and I've already learned so much, but that can be intimidating at times because you're like, yeah. oh man, I still have so much to learn. And, you know, Kevin, you and I had this conversation of like, I have to own who I am and and what I bring to this role. And a lot of what I bring is is a little bit more, I don't, I don't know how to fluff or, you know, emotion no. and like customer, like very honed in on the customer and I, well, we, could, we that... could get controversial and call them soft skills or like the connect, the, the connective tissue between things being important. But I would definitely not say fluff because wow. you've always been focused on things that drive results and make an impact. And this is the funny thing too. I think most people, when they, when they join our team are like, like, by the way, I'm not like a tech wizard or I don't like, you know, develop a hundred ads a week in my current role. So I'm not sure if I fit in here. <laughs> I just like, built my first that, ad in seven years. <laughs> that is not, <laughs> but that's I not did the it. problem. I did it quick. That's not the problem. Yeah. Learning, yeah. learning that stuff is easy because we, you know, and this is the part where it makes maybe someone in the audience feel bad, but 
it's going to be really, really hard for you to keep up because our, our area of focus is very narrow. We talk mm-hmm. and help and think through a lot of things that, that go beyond the scope of what we do for people. But when it comes to what we do, you know, after you build your first thousand ads on meta, you, you, you just, you've got it all locked in more or less. So that, that stuff's easy to, to come by. It, it really is the, the energy and the dedication. And I would say, if you're not scared about, you know, I, I would say still for, especially people when we're working with them for the first year or two, I probably mm-hmm. get sick to my stomach, like the five minutes before the call is going to start still. Yeah. You're like, yeah. I think I know how this is going to go. I think I know what their problems are. I think I know where they want help. I think I know how, how we can help. But man, and that's what keeps it fun, right? You're like, I've never been on this roller coaster ride before, right? It, I used it, to, I think before Beth started, we were chit-chatting or or she was like, how, how's this going? I was like, you know, the first couple of months, I would try to block out, if I had the time, a full hour to go through all their accounts because I was like, I need to have everything. I need to know what they know. And then now it's 10 minutes of just quickly glancing, but because I think everyone has their own, and that's what you said earlier, Beth, is like everyone has their own unique problems that they're trying to solve. But once we get comfortable Mm -hmm. with reading their data or or comfortable with that um, builder partner, we're like, we, we usually know what their biggest concerns are and, and the theme of the week of of what people are asking and, and how we can, um, can proactively help them. But sometimes the biggest thing is them telling us that meeting what they need and just able us able to be responsive. And that's, I think what I like absolutely love about the team is we, and one thing you had mentioned, Beth is like everyone at do convert has worked for a home building company. We know the bandwidth of new home marketers, online sales teams. We're not putting unrealistic goals on these small and or large teams. And so, um, it's fun. Beth, you're going to, I think we, we joked, you're like, don't say too many nice things about me, but yeah, you're, you're going to crush it. And I'm, I'm so happy to have you on the team though. Yeah. Thank you. you I'm excited. Just, just for clarity of people who don't work with us and don't like we have, we have coaches and we have strategists, strategists are helping build the ads. They're on the calls as well. But you know, when we're talking about preparing for a call, we're talking about basically absorbing the entire fingerprint or, or blueprint of what's going on with that builder so that we can come in prepared for wherever, you know, we can add value or be led. But I think the interesting thing is you, you do tend to overdo it at the beginning and you don't, I wouldn't say you underdo it later, but you understand, I, I know um, both Steve Shoemaker and Don Dancer have said similar things of one of the worst things that a company that's, that's consulting or coaching can do is just always talk about the bad or just take you where they want to go. The whole point is to get on the call and say, how can we be helpful right now? What are the things that that you're struggling with or that you feel like should be able to be done easier or better? And we'll see if we can help versus, you know, if you, if we had the same talk with everyone, mm-hmm. you would need no prep. You'd just be like, okay, here's the, here's yeah. the five points of today's call and they're all generic and don't ask questions and no, you can't see inside that account and no, <laughs> we won't explain how it works. And Yeah. I will tell you that, Kevin, I've been on how many of your calls over the past two weeks and every single one of them. Yeah. It's been a lot. And every single one of them is different. Every, I pull something new from every single one of them. And it's, and I think it's some of the bad jokes are the same. Some of the bad jokes (laughs) are the same. I am keeping a running tab of all your analogies. Good luck. They're they're in my notes. There's a lot and I love them, (laughs) but I think that's the beauty of it is like, this experience with do you convert? I felt it on the client side, 
but the experience is so personalized and, and tailored to what they need as a builder or what that marketer needs yeah. in their career and in their journey in home building that it's it's beautiful to um, like to watch unfold. I don't think Every we're going to be different. able to have you and Jackie on the same podcast again because it's there's too many good, <laughs> nice flower. Like if, I feel like I just walked in the middle of a ten minute infomercial. Right? We got we're dancing. We, in the feel free to cut some real, of that down yeah. in the edit, Jackie. There's I'm real, there's real stuff. That <laughs> I don't want to say like you're you're also t- trying to make sure people like oh, I I think about quitting. It's like what what's happening because there's yeah. always the chaos of um of each individual builder's needs too. Yeah, but exactly. most, most things are good. All right. Favorites, Jackie. Yeah, I got this camera. It's for Mac. It's called the Opal camera. Uh, great. Wonderful. That is actually why the audio problem occurred in the beginning because of my computer automatically, this is the first week using it though, tried to grab onto that, the audio that would be coming from the camera, which I wouldn't appreciate. But so far, you know, we have some people who have these extremely detailed setups that are kind of like $1,200. Some people. <laughs> Some people, not talking about you, Kevin, probably more than that, <laughs> but I'm just like, I don't have, I don't have the range of depth to my camera that I need as much. So I think it's $300. It's been phenomenal. I'm, I'm glad you recommended it. And, um, uh, if anyone else has a Mac and they're just like, want to blur that background or have a little more extra ump to their, um, video presence, it's, it seems to be doing the job very, very well. Yeah. It's about a third the price of what a, a kind of entry-level SLR setup would be for for Zoom or the like. And if you have a Mac, I would say, uh, and I was, you know, it's all Will Dutersett's fault because he actually saw an ad for it. He was like, can you buy this and try it so I don't have mm-hmm. to? And I was like, sure, ordered. Um, and I don't, But I don't have a Mac. So the software currently only works for Mac that lets you kind of fine-tune all the details to really make it look good. If you have a PC, I would say mm, maybe hold off or wait wait until the software comes out for that. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of... Just a good webcam, not amazing. But if you have a Mac, um, the Opal is really good. Really good. Yeah, I want to try it eventually since my other one just broke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Beth. So this is where we talk about our favorite anything. Show, music, book, uh, website. I'm very loyal. But unfortunately, it also means I'm loyal to TV shows. So I get mm. hooked on a TV show and then I watch it over and over and over again like a psychopath. So I've literally watched seasons one and two of Peaky Blinders more times than I can count because I'm just, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. Yeah. Is the, yeah. And the final season's out, right? Yeah. It's been over for a while, but I can't, I can't get myself past season three. So judge me, everyone judging me. I know it gets good. I know it remains good. And it's part of the story of Tommy Shelby. Um, the, um, Jesse Kelly at Sawcraft is the one who clued me onto that show. She started talking yeah. about it on a, on a call and I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, you never heard of this? And we watched yep. all of it. She's, who, she's who got me hooked and she's like, just keep watching it. I'm like, no, I can't. I can't. <laughs> Season one or two are good enough for me. <laughs> yeah. My favorite is pretending to be a cool dad. When I say that, like, I'm not, I'm not really that handy. I could be, if I took time. You're both giving me the funny looks. It's, it's funny. I, I don't you're know. Cool it's, it's my I'm favorite like, thing. Don't judge yeah. me. I don't know what okay. you're talking Like, I don't do stuff around the house. I don't putz around, as, as I think it's called. Um, and so my boys, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm not teaching them all the things that need to be taught. And I, a couple, it was last fall, we made two different mini putt-putt holes mm-hmm. in the garage. 
And my youngest son, Mason, he was just like, dad, this is incredible. Like we just thought about this. We sketched it on paper. We went to the store, we got the stuff when we made it happen. And I was like, yeah, buddy. And also I'm dead tired. And I don't want, he's like, when are we building the next one? And when are we building the next one? My boys were still homeschooled and they did a, a project where they made their own board game and they made it off of the Dogman cat comic kid. Oh yeah. Berkeley I don't know loves something. Those. There's some series of books. And mm-hmm. so my oldest son, Hayden, he's 10, made this like four pieces of paper long board. And it's just hand drawn and sketched, but the game itself is actually pretty fun. But he's, he drew some of the spaces are like a micro or a millimeter long. And he, he's got these big tokens. So you can't even tell what space you're on half the game. And, and so I was actually just, you know, problem solving. I'm like, okay, I like this game, but I don't know. There's all these rules, but you can't even tell which space you're on. And I'm thinking we should just redo this on the computer and turn it into like an actual printed board. So then I'm like, all right, guys, you want to do this? They're like, oh my gosh, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to turn it into a computer game? I'm like, no, we're just going to make a board. Maybe we'll get some 3D printed stuff like of the characters. And they're like, oh my gosh. So last night we spent an hour and a half. They were using Photoshop to crop out stuff from a Scandon picture and they're getting all excited and they're like, dad, this is so satisfying. This is just like the YouTube stuff we watch. Like, can we put on Spotify and just chill to our favorite music and sketch out these characters and they're making all this stuff. And so now like every time I see them, I've sent, they're like, how many more hours do you have to work, dad? And then can we work on the, on the board game some more? I'm like, you do realize that's more work, but I'm, I'm, I guess that's part of it is I'm after the podcast, I have to go spend another hour and a half working <laughs> on this with them. I'm trying to just let them run with it and see it until they get frustrated. But they're like all kids. They're like an hour in. they're like, are we done now? I'm like, no, we just made all the path, but you're going to have to go back in and draw all the lines for the boxes and make sure they're spaced correctly. And like, uh, so we'll see if it comes out, but I guess, I guess the encouragement there would be like, that's part of my job or like the skill set that I've learned doing what I do. And if you're a parent, don't assume that what you do is boring to your kids because they're like, fascinated now. They're like, did, is this what you do all day long? I thought you did calls, dad. I'm like, yeah, no, this is what I wish I could do more of, but I, I do, I do talk to people from time to time. Anyway. That's sweet. That's awesome. I can't wait to see the game. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I'm also like, you should just hand draw this. Cause you'll definitely get sued if this ever shows up anywhere. <laughs> it looks quasi legit, but there are, there yeah. are websites you can, you can like have them printed on a board and choose. You want trifold, quadfold, et cetera. So Tell them to have it done by summer. So that way, when we do our road trip back, we'll stop again and Berkeley yeah. will totally play. Yeah. The pool will be open then as well. That'd be great. There you go. We, we lied to your daughter last time. We we're like, oh yeah, and there's a pool. And then we didn't let her get anywhere near it. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. That'll do it for this week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to become a member for free of Do You Convert's All Access Community app. Just kidding. I can't believe we forgot to talk about this. Um, Half price tickets were on sale, may not be on sale anymore. I don't know. They're moving fast. In fact, when they're gone, they're gone. So at this point, I would guess we're going to have about 300 people total at this year's event, maybe a little bit more than that, depending on capacity. So tickets are going quick. And this is like, I feel like we have to put a disclaimer on this podcast, Jackie, that contains things that feel like commercials or are commercials. (laughs) 
<laughs> all right. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to become a member for free of Do Convert's All Access Community app for home builders and developers. I think we're closing in on 400 people there. Watch behind the scenes videos from the podcast, frequent exclusive postings and analysis from the Do Convert team and more. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Market Proof Marketing. Can't wait for the next one or looking to connect with other new home marketers? Become a member of our private community, DYC All Access, which is 100% free and always will be. Get exclusive content not shared anywhere else, access to private events, and the ability to join a marketing impact group with other marketers like you around the country. Visit our link in the show notes or members.doyouconvert.com to join. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peake, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. Now get to work and make sure your company is market-proof.